Katie. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Vicky. Thanks very much for inviting me. I'm really happy to uh, have you on. Been looking forward to our conversation. Likewise. Um, yeah. So welcome. Um, first of all, can we can we just talk about what what it is you do and where you're from? Just a little kind of bit about yourself. Yeah, I'm just a gobby trans woman. <laughs> <laughs> No. Aren't we well, all? Aren't apart we from all? being a gobby trans woman, basically, I've been I've been a photographer and filmmaker for uh, thirty four years, thirty five, yeah, thirty four or thirty five years. And um, three years ago, I came out very openly and very publicly as being trans. Um, and uh, after living for forty eight years as a man, um, and then um, that led me to to doing um, uh, to forming a new business called Cool to Be Trans, um, where I do trans awareness training, public speaking, and media appearances. Uh, to do two things. Uh, one is to reach out to other trans people to let them know that it's okay to be trans, because it is. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. uh, and then the other thing is to educate everybody else uh, about trans issues and just to show them that trans people are just ordinary people who want to be happy. And that's yeah. it. Well, ordinary, normal, boring people. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. We're just ordinary people. And yeah. yeah. yeah so it. you have two businesses then. You have your photography business and the cool to be trans is that is that a business too you set it up as yes a business? it is yeah it is a business yeah 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 so i still so i still got the photography business as well um so i just run the two together so, so how, how did you start in the photography business i mean that must have that probably goes back quite a long way i would think oh it does yeah well it's uh, uh, photography was one of my main hobbies as a kid and um i uh I, I, I used to do it you know when i was at school and then in the third year of um secondary school we had a, a week's work experience and um, I asked if I could go along to, um, to spend a week at the photographic department of the local newspaper. And I said, yes. So I went along there and I absolutely loved it. And I asked him if I could go back at weekends and holiday times and basically didn't take no for an answer. I just badgered my way in and I was probably a bit of a nuisance to them to begin with. But eventually I became quite useful to them. And so I used to, used, you know, used to be free labor for them. And then eventually they used to offer me the odd shift here and there. And I loved it. And it was very poorly paid, but I didn't care. It was great experience. And Was it just photography you were doing for them? It was, yeah. You weren't interviewing people or anything. No, no, it was just the photography side of it, yeah. And um, so, so I was, I was doing that, and and uh, of course it was, it was all in the days of black and white and dark rooms and yeah. all that sort of stuff. So yeah. I spent many years doing that, and um, so I did my O levels, and then I did my A levels, and then I had a had a course lined up to do, a photography course lined up to do. But um, it was brilliant timing because at that point a photographer left on the um, uh, on the paper. And so they offered me a job with training. So it was an apprenticeship. Um, so, um, yeah, so, so, and I thought, well, actually, I can get a lot further doing that than I could if I got um, got a degree. And because yeah. uh, I thought, so I never got a degree. So, so, I, so I did the apprenticeship and I'm so glad I did. So this, so is this from straight from school? Yeah, yeah, it's from doing my A levels. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right. So well, I did my A levels at, at, um, at, um, at, a, at a college rather than at school. But um, yeah. Um, and, and so because with photography qualifications don't count for anything it's yeah it's, it's all what down your to pictures you. are like and what you like what you like people. as a photographer really isn't it yeah yeah so you did you you ended up working for local newspapers then yeah 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 so yes yeah, so i was in local newspapers for, for, for quite a while um before leaving to set up my own my own uh, freelance photography and video business so you, you weren't a paparazzi were you no, no, I was never into that. <laughs> I'm, I'm a, you know, I've had a sort of fair share of people <clears> chasing <throat> me down the road and stuff like that. Um, but that, that's generally sort of 
criminals do when we've done sort of court snatch pictures and things like that I've, I've done all that kind of stuff and i've done yeah. you know done pictures in war zones you know, you know i've done it worked in the in croatia during the yugoslav civil war and photographed riots i've photographed the 1990 poll tax riots in trafalgar square wow. but hit on the head with a bottle then but Did probably really? explains a lot <laughs> <laughs> i've never been the same since <laughs> oh, that's hilarious so you've also been um, invited into Buckingham Palace, I believe. Yeah, by royal disappointment. Yeah, by royal disappointment. So, <laughs> what was that like? I mean, how do you how do you get invited to Buckingham Palace to take pictures of the Queen? That's that. I mean, just that is a fascinating yeah. question. You know. Yeah. Well, what did, it was, it was I'd um, I'd been doing some, uh, uh, some but maybe see, I'd photographed most of the royals when they've done royal visits you know in, in the areas i've yeah. been working in um but but then i'd be either be working for the press or or i'd be working as a host photographer so um for particular companies or organizations that, that have got you know the the, the hosting the, the the royals um but the the royal visits are organized by the um a government department called the central office of information and so they they just you know it is like a military operation the way these these royal visits are worked out and and so so they they run the whole show basically and um there was um a company in uh, or not a company an organization in in, in stratford based in stratford um that um they were having this visit i can't remember who whether it was the queen or whether it was prince charles i'm not quite i can't remember which one which royal it was but um they were having this royal visit and then they asked the central office of information. They sort of said, you know, are there any photographers that you recommend? Yeah, Cause we'd, we'd need a host photographer. And they recommended me cause they'd known me for years. And so I went along and did that and they liked what I did for them there. And then they came back to me. It was, it was the, that's right. It was the um, Royal Lifesaving uh, Society. That's who it was. And, um, and the queen is a patron uh, you know, there, as you see. So, um, she so so they they then said to me well you know we've got this reception at Buckingham Palace um you know would you like you know would you be interested in sort of coming down and uh, you know taking a, a formal picture that we need taking of her and Prince Philip and, and Prince Michael of Kent and then the other um dignitaries from from the Royal Life Saving Society throughout the the Commonwealth and they're yeah. all having this this reception and so I, I thought oh let me think about that I'll just check my diary <laughs> I mean, you don't really need to think, do you? It's an instant, yeah. <laughs> yes, of yes, yes, yes. So, um, so I went along and did it, and um, and I did the same thing. And five years later, so they 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 had the same. Oh, so you did a good job the first time. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> you um, invited you back for another go. Yeah, um, and and uh, and it's really nerve wracking job though. Really nerve wracking. Oh, I can but, imagine it's terrifying. Yeah. Well, what happened? What happened is that the, the, the pictures were taken in the Queen's music room, which over overlooks the um, the, the the back, you know, it's at the back of the, the Buckingham Palace. So, so you've got got her backyard behind, yeah. <laughs> um, and it's got these big French windows at the, 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 the behind. And, okay, um, now, does she have a barbecue on the backyard? That's the <laughs> well, she what she, she didn't. I didn't see one that day, <laughs> but um, but I remember the first time. Um, was that her, her assistants had set out these these chairs for the other people and for her and everything, but um, none of the chairs had arms to them, but her being queen, she had to have a chair with arms. She had to have a special chair, you see? Of course. But what they didn't, what they failed to see was that, that her seat, the seat of her chairs, because it was a different chair, the seat of her chairs was slightly lower to everybody else's. And of course, she's only little, anyway, she's not very tall. And so 
there's like all these this row of faces, and then hers one hers dipped down because it would make her look even smaller. She wasn't she wasn't very happy about that, and so no, and okay. one of her assistants said, well, "Shall I get you another chair or, or a cushion, ma'am?" And she didn't reply. So I'm standing there like a lemon, thinking, oh, "Am I okay to start now?" And then I said, "Oh, are you happy for me to start now, ma'am?" And she didn't reply. I thought, "Oh no." So I just did, and uh, anyway, it went fine, and it was no problem at all. And so that that was the that was the first the first experience of it. And so I was so nervous because previously I'd been used to being within the press pack, whereas this it was just just, was just me. Just I was you and your own. There, yeah. yeah. But then five years later, when we did it. It was the same sort of setup. So I had to go there early. I was like, like there like a couple of hours beforehand. You know, I was just ready to setting up all my lights and everything. And um, I remember because I'm using these these lights I've got they're, they're studio flash units and they have two bulbs in them they have they have um, a, a flash tube which goes flash when you take a picture but inside that you've got a, a modeling light which um, is just a constant light but you only use when you're setting it up just because it just shows you how the lights forming anyway just before she was due to come in one of the lights blew and it but it was only just that modeling light so it didn't matter because it had already done its job so I thought well that's okay it's going to be hot I'm not going to bother changing it the flash tube is still working that's fine um so I just left it and I thought I didn't want to be faffing around changing that if she came in so the next, yeah, but then <laughs> you don't want to be things no. going wrong like that do you so, so I left it I thought no it's fine it's not a problem so anyway then, then um her assistants are then looking through the the, the crack of the door because they've got these big doors and they're both closed and they're looking through the crack and then as soon as she was within a few yards of it they would then open the doors for her and I had imagined people doing this all around the palace <laughs> you know, looking through the cracks in the door waiting for her to come anyway she came in and um and she smiled and she was very chatty and she started talking to me and she said oh is it all right to take photographs against the light and, and so I said yeah, yes ma'am it's fine and in fact I should have said your majesty because you, you have to say your majesty first of all and do a bow or a curtsy first of all and then and then do uh, and then after that it's ma'am yeah so and, did they uh, take you through all that protocol before oh yeah yeah do all of that yeah so um so they did that and you know sat her down and I you know, started taking the pictures and then a few pictures in she said Oh, you do realise one of your lights isn't working, don't you? Oh, no, I've got to explain all about the blooming modelling light and the flash tube. I thought, I can't do that. How can I do it quickly? And so I just said, oh, yes, ma'am, it is working. Um, thank you. But it just looks as if it isn't. And afterwards, I thought, oh, God, that sounds really flippant. <laughs> but I was all right. I didn't end up in the tower, so I was OK. <laughs> you survived. That's good. I survived it. Yeah, it was all right. <laughs> so are the, are the photographs you did, are those on, are those on your photography website? Yeah, there is. Yeah, there is one of the pictures on there. So I've got the, people could go and look if they want to see what they turn out like. Yeah, yeah. But so these were for an official occasion, or they were just. Yeah, it was for this, this reception because I had this reception for people, you know, from the um, Royal Life Saving Society. So right. the heads from, from all of the Commonwealth countries. So your pictures will be used. They will be sent out to various press organizations and stuff around the yeah world. so all that kind of stuff and, and and also just for themselves just for their own memory of it that's all it was yeah so they can stick them on twitter or something yeah 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 all that kind of stuff yeah. <laughs> it's just uh yeah but of course yeah it's um yeah really really prestigious i can't even say it prestigious job to yeah, do really um yeah it's uh but yeah very nerve-wracking so while, while we're just talking about your photography business can mm. you explain the name of your business and how you've not changed that since your transition. Yeah, I, I, it's called Martin Neves Photography and Film because Martin was my old name. And uh, the thing is that I, when I 
when I came out very publicly, uh, well, the thing is that I had to come out very publicly because I, at, at that point, um, my photography business, uh, video business had been an established brand for 22 years. I was and still am actually ranked second in the UK on free index wow. of photographers just through customer reviews. So who's and number one? I, mean, go on. I don't know, but um, I'm hiring a hit squad as we speak. <laughs> so I'll soon be number one. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Carry on. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I shouldn't have said that. I've blown my cover now, haven't I? <laughs> so, um, yeah. So, so um, you know, I built up this great reputation for myself, and and so I was fairly well known as you know as Marcy Neves then, and anyone. And I just thought that if I changed the name of the business to Katie Neves Photography and Film when I transitioned, then nobody would know who that was. And it would be like starting from scratch. Yeah. So you might it's, lose customers or yeah, so people don't realize I, it's the same person. Kind of. So I just felt that the only thing that I could do would be to keep the name of the business the same. And then, and the, but then like detach myself from the, from the, the, the brand name, if you like. So even though I'm the yeah. only person working in the business, so instead of being Martin from Martin Neves Photography and Film, I'd be Katie from Martin Neves Photography and Film. So do you get people call, calling up saying, ah, can I speak to Martin? Yeah, it does and happen. you say, no, he's not here anymore. He's just me. Yeah. Well, in fact, for a while I had on the, on, on, um, uh, on the bottom of my emails, you know, my email signatures, I, I would put with my photography business, you know, I, I put, um, yeah, Martin is not my husband, my dad, my business <laughs> partner, my brother. Yeah, I, I used to be called Martin. Yeah, click here to, for more information, then there'll be a link through to my Call to Trans website. Um, but I've taken that off now, so I, I haven't put that on there, but I, I did do that for a while. So you kept the old name and, and the business obviously survived. Yeah, and... well, things that I'm... I know many trans people are very uncomfortable with their old name so much so that they call it their dead name and it, and it, mm. and it's a real trigger for them to even hear their old name being mentioned but yeah. I'm I'm very comfortable with my old name I don't like being called my old name because it's not my name anymore but I'm very comfortable with it and I'm completely at peace with my past and so I don't want to wipe out the previous 48 years of history and I'm I'm proud of everything I achieved as Martin and so in a way, it's quite a tribute to Martin to, to, to be able to keep the name going yeah. through my business, right. even though it's not my name anymore. Yeah, I mean, it's as long as people nice... don't call you that name directly, I mean, oh, I, no, think it, I think it's okay to refer to Martin of the past. You know, that's oh, absolutely, that's yeah, and 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 uh, yeah. So I have no 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 issues with that. No, but it's ironic now. I'm actually much better known as Katie than I was as Martin, just through all the activities that I've been doing with Cool to Be Trans, and and so. I could actually change the name to Katie News Photography and Film if I wanted to now, but I'm not going to, to be honest, because it's part of my story. And, and it, as I say, it is quite a nice yeah, yeah. tribute to, to my past anyway. So, um, so I'm completely comfortable with it. I mean, so yeah, I, I mean, the fact that you still have this business called Martin Neves, you know, it's a kind of an in when you want to talk about trans issues with people, you can mm. kind of bring this up and, you know, yeah, the name change. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, so, um, yeah, so I'm I'm keeping it as, as as it is really. Yeah, so that's fine. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean that that's that's great. I think I would, if I had had a business, I think I'd probably do the same. Hmm. It would I mean, certainly I mean, been been easier for me if I'd if I'd have called it um, you know something generic rather, rather yeah. than. Yeah, I mean you could have just called it Neves Photography, but then people wouldn't know that it's Martin Neves. Yeah, I could. So I, I could, guess yeah, I could have done that, but I just so, yeah yeah. Have you noticed any difference being 
a woman business owner now to before you know a male um, business owner has attitudes towards you from your clients has it have it has it changed no I clients or gain clients because of it um okay um obviously you not in terms of being a woman i don't think i haven't experienced any misogyny um certainly the people that have brought me in you know i've been treated with respect by the people that brought me in and you know booked me to do jobs and by the people i've been taking pictures of i i certainly haven't haven't had any um problems like that yet um no that's been fine um in terms of my transition um i have lost some clients through it um but then i knew i always would <laughs> um yeah. and i i I just have got to the point where I thought, well, actually, I, I, although I've missed the income from those, the people that I lost business with, I only want to work for nice people. Well, yeah. Obviously. <laughs> and so actually what's happened is that I think I probably picked up clients on the back of it as well, because now everybody who books me, they know that I'm trans and they're totally cool with it. Yeah. And it's great. It's great yeah, working for them. Great. Yeah. it's brilliant you know so and and also it's opened up the way for me um doing cool to be trans as well and so so that that's been fantastic and yeah so I, you, you I, kind I, of had a transition in business life and i did it well what what i did with my my when i with my coming out sort of story it was quite dramatic i mean most people sort of coming out is sort of quite sort of um gentle and they tell a few people and then they tell a few more people and then wide and it widens out but yeah i did tell just a, a few very close friends but then it went big so basically i because i had been so well known i just thought you know i've got to just do this big come out very openly very honestly and very publicly as being trans and continue to do that so what i decided to do was make a coming out video um, which you can see actually if you go onto my call to be trans website and go onto the about me page you can see it there um and um and i made that public on the um uh, uh, so in uh, on the 26th of april 2018 and i sent it to all my clients and i put it on all my social media and i, re I remember my finger nervously hovering over the mouse knowing that as soon as i clicked the mouse to make that video live in my life would never be the same again i was so frightened because because i was freelance you know i i didn't have any long-term contracts people just booked me for short-term you know jobs they just booked me for a job here and there yeah so and if they had a problem with with my being trans then they just the phone would stop ringing and i'd just lose my business you know and i was so frightened of that you know my whole reputation my livelihood everything rested on the reaction yeah. to that one video it's the most important video ever made in my life um anyway i, I clicked the mouse and and i waited but then i had to go out on a job <laughs> but my mind wasn't on the job you know i took the pictures as quick as i could and the client was very happy with the pictures but you know, I couldn't wait to get back to see what was happening on Facebook was the first one that did. And, and I tell you, I needn't have worried because I was inundated with hundreds of messages of support. It was amazing. Was I felt so loved. Yeah. You know, I didn't do any work for three whole days because I was so busy replying to all these lovely messages of support. It was incredible. Um, and it went from being something that I was absolutely dreading to being one of the most uplifting experiences of my life, you know, second only to the birth of my daughter. It was right up there. It was absolutely incredible. You know, it was, it was amazing. Um, yeah. And, and I had lots of um, lovely messages from, as well as from, from other trans, sorry, from, from 
clients or from friends was other trans people had seen it as well and and they'd uh, you know that they'd uh, said that they they you know they appreciated what i said because it really helped them um yeah you jumped in with in the deep end and i did yeah go everybody go home. Go. <laughs> yeah. yeah i mean yeah. i i did a more kind of a gradual you know coming out but um yeah it, it can be a really difficult time that you're going through mm. you know personally and also worrying about you know what can go wrong Great to hear that you had such a positive response from your video. It was, it was incredible, yeah, yeah. So can we can we just talk about your transition story? I mean, obviously going back to when you were a kid, mm. um, could you just you know explain how it came about for you? And, yeah, uh... yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, I'm mean, obviously you know I was assigned male at birth, and um, at, but the, at the age of around three or four, my head and my heart were telling me something a bit different to, to the label that I'd been given at birth. And one of my earliest memories was age around three or four. My mum catching me trying on a pair of my sister's knickers. And I remember when I did it, it felt so right. You know, I felt right. But then my mum caught me. She told me off. She told me to take them off. And for every day of the following week, she would pull my shorts down and she'd check to make sure that I was wearing my own pants. And it was humiliating. Yeah. But it sowed the seeds for a very long time that what I was doing was wrong. It was dirty. It was naughty. You know, it's not what respectable people did. Um, and I don't blame my mum for that. I mean, that was the early 70s. It's just how things were in those days. And, um, you know, she's a product product of her generation. It's just, you know, it's only two years before I was born that it, it, it just became partially legalised to be homosexual. So you were born in late 60s, were you? I was born in 69. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, so... <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, and there was lots of gay bashing going on, and because nobody spoke about trans stuff in those days, so no, it was never it, spoken about at all. It just wasn't. It, it was wasn't totally a, nothing in the no, 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 not at all. No. So, so I don't blame my mum for that. It's just how things were. Um. So anyway, she so she told me off. Then, but the thing is that, however much she told me off, the urge and the need to cross dress, as it was then, would always be with me. Um. And so throughout my childhood, I used to secretly dress in my sister's clothes whenever I had the opportunity. And whenever I did it, it always felt so right. But then... Was this kind of totally in secretive? Oh, completely. You're in the house on your own kind of thing? Yeah, yeah. Whenever I had the opportunity, yeah, completely in secret. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and and uh, yeah, and it always felt so right. Yeah, it was great. But then the, the, uh, those feelings of feeling right were very quickly replaced by feelings of guilt and shame and self-loathing because it was not what respectable people did. It's not what I did. This is not who I am. And, and so I was in complete self-denial about it. So it was many years before I'd even admit to myself that then I was a cross-dresser. It was just, no, this is not what I did. And, and so every time I did it, I would promise myself that I would never, ever do it again. And I tried so hard to not do it. But the trouble is, however hard you try to suppress it, the urge and the need always comes back and usually with a vengeance. <laughs> and that's what happened. Yeah, so you might be able to suppress it for a few weeks or months. And then, exactly. Um, and that's what happened. And this, this vicious cycle went on you know, right up until my mid 20s. Um, so by my, by my mid 20s, I trained to become a press photographer. And as, as I told you before, I was initially working on newspapers in Kent. Yeah. And uh, before leaving there to to, um, to to move up to the Midlands when I got a job as a senior staff photographer with the Coventry Evening Telegraph. And I worked there for 
for five years um, before um, for leaving to set up my own freelance photography and video business, Martin Needs Photography and Film. Um, and so by my mid-20s, I got a successful business. Um, I got married for the first time. And it was only in my mid-20s that I finally admitted to myself and embraced the fact that then I was a cross-dresser. And as soon as I did that, it was like a whole weight lifting off my shoulders because I no longer felt guilty about it. You know, and I realized that I had a condition called gender dysphoria, which, you know, at the time, until then, I'd, I'd never heard of it before. Yes, we're uh, talking probably 90s, are we now? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah would be about 96 or something like that. Be about that. Yeah, be yeah. about that. Did um, you go through a period where you would like go and buy clothing and then you'd have a mad kind of feeling of guilt and purge everything? And then a few weeks later or a few months later, you'd, you'd be buying it back again. Did you go through that? Uh, a lot of people I, do go through that. Yeah, I didn't. No, I didn't. I didn't buy stuff and then get rid of it and no i was i i used to when in the when those days i was um you know i i was dressing i was wearing my wife's clothes in secret and so i was just just doing that um and and i did you know buy the odd few things but then i just i just you know keep them well hidden and yeah but i never i never got rid of those <clears throat> to, you know at the time i didn't sort of purge like that um but um the thing is that uh, as soon as I admitted it to myself and embraced it, you know, I, I sort of, you know, realized that it was gender dysphoria and that, that, um, but in those days, the level of gender dysphoria was low enough that it was satisfied by the occasional cross-dressing, you know, and, and so that was okay. And, um, but obviously you're well aware that gender dysphoria can vary in intensity and it very often increases over time and that's exactly what happened with me and I was completely unprepared for that <laughs> completely um, but at the time I was happy as a man who needed to cross dress I treated it more like a hobby that I would always need yeah. to do and would always be part of me and I, I accepted that and I was happy like that that was fine and um, did you ever kind of come out with that did you ever tell your wife that you were cross-dressing uh, or anybody yeah, else? I did I did my my first wife yeah and she never accepted it and it was it was awful and it was yeah it was really really bad and um, she 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 could she rejected I remember when, when I told her she just rejected me completely I remember vividly now the, the night that it happened it was uh, we'd been watching a program on the television um it was it was a travel show and it was hosted by Gabby Roslin right. and uh it was a story she was covering a story about a husband and wife and, and the husband was a cross-dresser and they went on a um a holiday um, a caravan holiday to wales and that was the time where her husband could could explore his feminine side and and and, and cross-dress and you know he'd, he'd go off quite happily and do, do you know go out shopping and doing all the rest of it and and she was supportive of that and so you know and and my wife just said to me at the time after we watched that she just said jokingly um oh Oh, I hope you never do that to me. And at the time, I thought, "Oh God!" And I didn't want to lie to her. And I just yeah. blurted out and said, "Well, actually, I I am a crossdresser." <laughs> and and it, it was just awful. And I remember now she had, she had no idea, and she had no idea, and she just she just burst into tears. And of course, my first reaction was to go and throw my arms around her and give her a big hug. And went to do that, and she just pushed me away and she put her hands up and said, "Don't touch me! Don't touch me!" And I remember that so vividly; it was awful. And um, 
but it, and, and our marriage was never right since then but we our marriage lasted for 13 years or we should have split sooner because although we, we had many times of going to, to counseling it only papered over the cracks it never solved the problem but there's also another issue with our marriage that, that I wanted kids and she didn't and and I always thought that as she got older she she might change her mind about that as some women do but she didn't um, but as I got older it became more and more important to me so when I was approaching 40 I just thought well there's two massive things against us here and, and it's a shame because we loved each other and we were a great team together apart from the fact that she didn't accept my cross-dressing and she didn't want kids and I could just see the two of us growing old unhappily and and I just thought I've got to do something about this so I instigated the first divorce right. and it was um when I went through, when I was going through the first divorce, that I then went to, on to meet a, a woman who would eventually become my second wife. And I decided to tell her about my cross-dressing on our second date. I thought the first date was probably pushing it. <laughs> Hello, do you come here often? Oh, look, we've got matching knickers. doesn't really work, does it? <laughs> um, but I, I, was, I was keen to not get involved with anybody emotionally who who wouldn't accept it because I because having been through that with my first marriage, I thought, well, tell her early on. So tell, told her on the second yeah. date, and to my surprise and to my delight, she was okay with it. You know, but she but there were conditions attached. So she said, as long as as long as you don't do it more than once a week, which in those days I didn't. Once a week was enough to satisfy the level of gender dysphoria that I had at the time. So I thought. Well, that's okay. I can cope with that. That's that's a tick in the box. And I said, as long as you never want to transition. Well, I absolutely didn't. I mean, then, you know, that my level of gender dysphoria was low enough to that it was satisfied by my occasional cross-dressing. So that was okay. That was another tick in the box. I never in a million years thought I'd need to transition. So that's fine. And was one of the rules that this had to stay in the house too? You weren't allowed to, you wouldn't have been allowed to yeah. the real world yeah yeah she didn't want anybody uh, anybody else seeing yeah. it, seeing me and um but also she said um you know if ever we had any kids she didn't want them seeing it and i didn't really agree to so that it was very conditional you can do it but it has to be yeah uh, yeah and I, I didn't really agree to that but then i just thought well because I, I thought well having lived a double life effectively within my first marriage i didn't want that for any kids that i've got i thought i'd want them to, to know the whole me yeah um, you kind of set yourself up for the same situation I know, but then yeah. but then i thought well i'm fishing from a smaller pond here let's face it and i didn't think that many women would accept a cross-dresser as, as a partner or, or as a husband or anything so i i i just thought i mean now i actually think that there are more accepting i think i probably didn't give them as, as much credit as i should have done but <laughs> but that's how i thought it was at the time and so I just thought, well, two out of three isn't bad. You know, let's work on the third one if, yeah. if and when that happens. Yeah. So um, our relationship blossomed. And then nine years ago, we had a, a beautiful baby daughter who's the absolute centre of my universe. Um, but it was many years before we got around to getting married because I haven't gone through the pain and the cost of, of, of my first divorce. I always said I'd never get married again, but eventually I weakened and then I proposed and, and we got married and, August 2017 um however a few months before we got married I just happened to meet a spiritual guide and clairvoyant at a business networking meeting now 
I don't know if you've ever been to any business networking meetings, Vicky, but you tend not to meet people like clairvoyants at those sort of places. No, they're not really the kind of places that clairvoyants go to. But yeah. Well, you, you meet lots of people like accountants and, yeah. and financial advisors. Mm-hmm. And, people like, and there's nothing wrong with those people. Lots of my friends are those, those people, so that's, that's fine. But um, but clairvoyance is just fascinating. And so I spent most of the evening chatting to her because I, I was just intrigued. And um, I was so intrigued by that that I decided to book up for a reading. I didn't feel the need for a reading or anything, but I, I was intrigued. So I went along and she blew me away. She was incredible. She said so many things that were so true, really pinpoint accurate, that she couldn't have found out from my website or my social media or anything like that. But then she said, a lot, said lots of other things, which at the time just didn't make sense. They make perfect sense now, but they didn't then. So she said things like, there's a new way of being. And there's an issue that you've always known about, but that you're not fully in integrity with. And she said, spirit want you to go off for a long walk in the countryside and talk to yourself, talk to nature, talk to spirit, and they will show you what you need to see. All right. So I thought, uh, okay, <laughs> well, I like walking. <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> As you do. Yeah. Um, but it, I, I was really busy at the time, so I didn't have the time to go for a long walk. And so I, I was busy with my work and it was a run up to our wedding. So there was loads of stuff going on. So in the meantime, we got married in August 2017. And it wasn't until very early November 2017 that I finally took myself off for a long walk. And I took myself off to Rutland Water because I love it over there. Beautiful countryside over there. And I worked out this really long route around the southern countryside of, of, the, of the reservoir. And then I came back along the south shore. And I went midweek because I didn't want to meet anybody else. There was less chance of meeting people because uh, weekends would be busy. And uh, and I remember it now. It was a beautiful day. It was a very um, it was a blue sky, sun shining. Um, it was a very cold, crisp, clear day. And I went off with my map and my compass and my walking boots and my backpack. And I was on a mission. I was striding it out, and I was talking at the top of my voice, talking to myself, talking to nature, talking to spirit, whoever they were. <laughs> And I, and I remember feeling disappointed at the time because I was naively expecting some sort of light bulb moment or some sort of um, big voice to say, this is what you should be seeing. <laughs> Strangely, Vicky, that didn't happen. Didn't I happen. don't know why. <laughs> I don't know why. Could have predicted thought, that for you. And I thought, oh, perhaps I've done it wrong. Perhaps I should have sat serenely by the water's edge looking out <laughs> at the reservoir. But strangely, whether it's a coincidence or not, I really don't know. But around about the same sort of time, my gender dysphoria increased dramatically. It went through the roof. So so this is just after you've spoken to the... Well, after, me, well, I'd, after I'd, yeah, yeah, after I'd gone off on this walk, it, it had started to go, to, to go up a bit before I went on this walk. So obviously I'd been thinking about it on the run up to it anyway. So it started to go up then, but you know, after the walk then, it really, it really went up dramatically. And so much so that I just didn't know what gender I was at all. I hadn't got a clue really didn't know and so much so that I was even typing into Google what gender is Martin Neves I know that's crazy because the answer could only come from me it couldn't come from anywhere else particularly Google but I was desperate that's what desperate people do isn't it (laughs) I just didn't know and thing is I I couldn't tell my wife about my inner turmoil because I didn't want to stir up a hornet's nest unnecessarily if it was just something of nothing but then if I did tell her it would lead to her asking me questions which at the time I just didn't have the answers to. I just didn't know what gender I was at all. So I just thought, I've got to face this on my own. So the first thing I did was to um, get some counselling. So I found a counsellor who had experience of dealing with people with gender issues. 
and I had four sessions with her. And in hindsight, I think I should have had more sessions with her. But at the end of those four sessions, I wrongly concluded that I was gender fluid. Um, and I realize now why I realized that. Um, and that was my fear of admitting to myself that I was trans, um, that was making me hang on to any bit of masculinity that I had. And that was a, an easy way of, of doing it by saying I was gender fluid. But I didn't just take that conclusion as read. Well, while, um, while I was doing that, I, I was also working through a self-help workbook, which you, you may well be familiar with. It's called You and Your Gender, Ident you and Your Gender Identity by uh, Dara Hoffman Fox. Uh, yeah, a, I've, not, I've not seen those. Yeah, they're, they're a gender therapist from the States. It's a brilliant yeah. book. It's just like um, psychotherapy in a book. Right. Um, and uh, it's about, it took me about two months to work my way through it. It's a lot of work. It's a self-help book. And by the time I got about th to about three quarters of the way through the book, it became obvious that I, I wasn't uh, gender fluid. I was, in fact, a transgender woman. And then by the time I got to the end of that book, that conclusion hadn't changed. So now I had two conclusions, but they were different. So I thought, what, what can I do now? So I thought, I, I know, I'll, I'll send a text back to the clairvoyant. So I... I, I I sent this text back to her and then she sent a text back to me saying, oh, that's funny. I was expecting your text. <laughs> and she didn't. That was just a cheap joke. <laughs> but she, she, I couldn't resist it. Um, but I should point out, she, she's not just some sort of um, mystic Meg sitting in a caravan with a crystal ball predicting the lottery numbers. Or, uh, to be honest, with the state of my finances at the moment, that'd be quite handy. So if you know anyone like that, Vicky, if you can, you know, let, yeah, I mean, uh, you, uh, I'll send you the number. Huh? Yes, please do. Yeah. yeah. Um, That'd be quite handy, but no, she she is actually she's a spiritual healer and and, and specialising in in clairvoyant healing, and she's um, a spiritual a member of the, the National Federation of Spiritual Healers, which is recognised by the NHS. So she's got mm. some she's got some credibility about her, and she suggested that I go to her for what's called a, a vision quest session, and what that was was a four hour interactive process. It's a really long process. And she uses techniques such as deep meditation to get you into a really relaxed state and to allow you to get past all your fear and so you can access your inner truth. So I went along for that session on the 11th of January 2018. And during that session, she didn't give me any answers at all. She just asked me a series of questions. It was question after question after question after question. It was relentless. Now, whether she got the questions from spirit or not, I haven't got a clue, but she just got she just asked these questions and she allowed all the answers to come from me and from my inner truth and it was such an emotional session i cried buckets that day i really did and it was at the end of that session that i admitted to myself that i am a transgender woman and that i need to change my body and that was the point that i really felt female and i really felt that martin had stepped back and katie had taken over and it felt so right and it's felt so right ever since so now, you know, after all three different approaches, I had discovered my true gender identity. So what now? You know, what was I going to do with this new piece of information? You know, I, I had a happy home life. I had a successful business. You know, could I put all of that in jeopardy just for the sake of this new piece of information? On the other hand, could I go back to living as I was before with this new piece of information eating away at me? <laughs> Very the, difficult to go back at that point. Well, the yeah. trouble is that, once you know your true gender identity, yeah. you can't you can't unknow it, can you? That, you can't that, unknow it. No, that genie definitely true. wasn't going back in the bottle. You can't put the genie back. 
The thing is, I didn't want to be trans. Yeah, no one does because it invariably involves a lot of lost pain and heartache, as well as having to deal with prejudice it's and bigotry. Definitely not an easy uh, route. That's for not sure. an easy option, is it? So, yeah. so nobody chooses to be trans. So the only choice you have is whether you do anything about it or not. And yeah, the choice is really, you know, when am I going to do something about it? It's not. Yeah. Exactly. No, no other choice involved. It's, exactly. It's so, so, so the, but the research that I did showed that most trans people who decide to transition after the initial loss, pain and heartache and bumpy journey along the way, usually go on to lead happy and contented lives because you know, they're living their truth. They're, they're, they're the real, they're the real selves. Yeah. Yeah. But then many trans people decide not to transition. Often, sadly, they have to end, end up in a spiral of depression because they're not able to live their truth. And so the urge to live my truth was so overwhelmingly strong, you know, because I, I, I was finally at peace with myself. I knew who I was. So I just had to face up to it and, and just, you know, get on with it and do it. So um, the first challenge I had was to tell my wife. And that was the hardest so thing. At, at this point, how long had you been married? Oh, um, it, uh, what would it be? August. Uh, five months so it's really that's a really yeah and we we've been living to get we've been living together for for a lot longer because we've been living together for uh, uh about eight years something like that so you, i mean you must now be thinking about how do i get over these conditions that were set previously yeah well the thing is yeah well, well yeah i mean i mean i mean i'd already gone against my wife's wishes in terms of the cross-dressing in front of my daughter yeah, our yeah. daughter because um i just thought i i just didn't want to live a lie to her so i just did it and she was my wife was furious at the time but once it once she'd seen me she couldn't unsee me it was done you know and so but i'm so glad that i did it because it made it so much easier for my, my daughter when when i told her that i was transitioning you know she'd already been seeing katie once a week or so you know so anyway so she that wasn't a shock to her obviously it's different to me to me being katie full-time that's different but it made it easier made it a lot easier definitely um so i'm glad yeah, that i did get so accepting anyway so yeah absolutely yeah so that that really helped but um but yeah, so so yeah, we had been living together for say eight years then, but but we'd only been married for five months. So it was awful timing. It was dreadful, and I felt terrible about it. I really did. It was such a bombshell that I dropped on her, and, and I was so worried about telling her. It, it you know it took me a whole month to pluck up courage to tell her, and um, I was so worried about it. I actually wrote a letter to her just in case my words didn't come out right. Yeah. In the end, my words did come out right, but I gave her the letter at the end anyway because she was in shock. It was it was awful, and. Um, uh, as I'm sure you're well aware, you know, sexuality and gender are completely separate entities yeah. that are not linked. Yeah. So in my case, I've always been attracted to women and I still am. And so all that's happened for me is the labels changed. So previously I was labeled as a heterosexual man. Now I'm labeled as a lesbian. It feels no different to me. It's just, you know, exactly as it always has done. But obviously from a wife, the, the, her label hadn't changed. She was still attracted to men. So there was a mismatch. And so it was a problem. And um, we tried counselling, but unfortunately that didn't work. And so um, that was the end of my second marriage. So that, that was a, yeah, that was a big blow. It was such a shame. Um, but that's how, that's sadly, that's how it was. But of course, then the next dilemma then was, was, was about the name of business, which we, we've already covered. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But um, 
Um, but then, but then when I did come out and, and did my when I put my coming out video out there, as, as well as having messages of support from friends, uh, from clients, and from other trans people, um, there was one message that really struck a chord with me, and that was from a woman whose son had had gender issues when he was going through puberty, and he was being treated for it at a gender clinic for kids at the time, and she said that she was worried at the time that he would either be bullied or he'd self-harm or even attempt suicide and i'm sure i don't need to point out to you the you know the, the what the suicide stats are you know, with the trans people they're horrific yeah, pretty so, horrific yeah so i just felt that then i thought i've really got to do some good with this so i decided to vlog my whole journey and bring people along on the journey with me and um reach out to other trans people just to show them that it really is okay to be trans um and and then and then also to educate others about it and just to demystify the whole process, make it accessible. Yeah. And so I did that. And then um, my story got picked up in initially the local media. I started doing interviews for local radio and then then local newspapers, but then escalated, started doing stuff for, um, you know, for, for national radio and television and national newspapers and magazines. And so all of a sudden I've become this sort of trans ambassador if you like for one of a better word you know what however you want to call it or or advocate or whatever um so is this all related to the fact that you were fairly well known at the time anyway i think it probably was and by the unusual way that i came out and it's just because it was an unusual story it got picked up and then yeah all of a sudden i was the sort of you know the you were on i remember seeing a video of you on was it on itv news yeah itv news yeah yeah, yeah so that pro probably that was in very early stages of your transition, I think. It was, yeah. I was still wearing a wig then, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I was, yeah, yeah. Um, but it, they were great. They treated me so well. They were really supportive. They were brilliant. And and I thought that the, the video, the finished video, I think they edited it together really well because I, I much prefer doing live interviews because you're much, I'm much more in control of what's said and, and how it goes out. Whereas, um, and I can steer things. How <laughs> if if yeah, I don't like the way it's going, I can steer. Being edited afterwards, isn't it? When it's when it's recorded, you are in the hands of the editor. Yes, indeed. And and but they were brilliant. They were great. They were so supportive. They were the, they were lovely. Um, and and yeah, and I, and I just think that um, a lot of prejudice and bigotry comes from a fear of the unknown. So if you can take that unknown away, then you're doing a really good thing. Um, so I think education is the key here. So the more education there is, then the more acceptance there'll be. And then the more acceptance there'll be, the easier it would be for other trans people to A, admit to themselves that they're trans, because that's the hardest thing, isn't it? <laughs> and, it is. It's very and B, yeah. yeah, and B, do something about it and just to live their best life is ultimately, that's what we all want to do. Whether we're trans or not, we all want to live our best life. Um, yeah, absolutely. And, um, yeah, and uh, it's been, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's been incredible. I mean, I've... Um, so... I mean, how have you how have you managed to navigate the the medical side of transition? Did you approach well, your GP at some point and tell I them did, what was I going did. On? I yeah. So that was in um, that was actually in January two thousand eighteen. Um, so I approached my GP actually before I told my wife. Actually, I, I, I approached my GP, um, and at the time I'd been quite healthy. That so I didn't. I'm, I lived in the village for what, twenty three years something like that at that point so I uh, you know I knew the doctors that were up there but I didn't know them that well because I hadn't been there that often so I didn't I didn't know which one to ask for for, for such you know imparting such so your, your surgery is one of these where you, you you go in and you get any any of the GPs or 
So you, well, yeah, you could, well, I, well, you phone up and you ask for an appointment and then they tell you who you could, who you you yeah. can have an appointment with. Right. And so I didn't know who, who to ask for. Cause I, you know, um, so I just, but I just knew that I felt more comfortable talking to women about it than I did men. Um, Cause some men feel threatened by it and, and mm. for whatever reason. And and so I've, I've always got a much better response from, from women. Yeah. So yeah. I just asked for a female GP and uh, I just happened to get the, the GP that I got. She was lovely. She was brilliant. She couldn't have been more supportive. I was so lucky to get her because I'd heard all these horror stories about so many GPs not being supportive. Um, yeah, I think in a lot of cases it's because they really don't know how to deal with it. You might, well, they're not you trained. Might the, they're not you trained. might be the first trans person they've ever kind of come across. Mm. Yeah, they don't have this, official. There's no official training either. No. I don't believe. And this, this was, this was the case. The case with this particular GP, and she admitted that that she'd. She'd never treated a trans patient from the start. And she had, in a previous practice, she had treated two uh, trans women who who had already transitioned. And, and so they, yeah. you know, they, they'd already done it. And it, yeah. so that, that was, but that was different to starting them off. Yeah. So she had no experience of that at all. And I asked Did her. Did she have any idea what to do? I mean, no. normally they, they just kind of, yeah. you know, you have to tell them that. Yeah, well, that's, needs to be referred to the GIC. Well, this is what happened. I because I because I'd seen all the horror stories because I'd been on all the forums and everything. So I I I knew yeah, knew what to expect. Kind of, so what prepared. I did, I print I printed off a load of stuff from the NHS website. There's some really good resources on there, and yeah. and um, and and so I printed off loads of this stuff, uh, and I went along. I said, "There you go. There's some bedtime reading." For you. <laughs> and 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 so I said, said that I'd like to be referred to a GIC. I I worked out which one I wanted to be referred to because I'd looked at the waiting times. The one with the shortest list. Yeah. Oh yeah, which yeah right. <laughs> well, at the at the time, because my my nearest my nearest one at GIC is uh, Daventry. And at the time, their waiting time was two years, eight months for first appointment. So then the next nearest one was Nottingham, and their waiting time at the time was two years, four months. But then I'd heard there was, there was one at Sheffield, and their waiting time was one year, four months. I thought, wow, that's half the time. Yeah, I'll go with them, even though it's a further that's drive. That's I'll the same go. one I went with. So so I thought, right, great, I'll um I'll get, get on their list. So yeah. I got on their list, but. <laughs> I, I've only just now just had my first appointment and that it took me three years, two months to get it. <laughs> so when were you, what was the date you were first referred? Feb, uh, February, it's early February, 2018. Wow. Yeah. 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 So, um, yeah, so their waiting list just grew and grew and grew. And so yeah. I've only just had that, but things that I didn't, because it was, it, it was, it's been like a pressure cooker building up inside of me over 48 years and so once I'd admitted to myself I was trans and I was going to do something about it I wanted to go at it 100 miles an hour because I, I just I'd made the decision if I'm going to do it I'm just going to get on and do it but the trouble is then you're held back by the NHS you can't yeah I mean you can go on and start doing all your paperwork and your passport and your driving license and all those yeah. change your name paperwork yeah. and all that stuff yeah and all but, your accounts and everything but the yeah. the NHS part the yeah medical part yeah it just gets stuck it does I mean the only does. options you have are you know, get stuck with the GIC system or go private. Yeah. And that's what I did. And that's what yeah. I did. So I, I, I mean, I asked my GP if she would prescribe bridging hormones, but she just said that she didn't feel, she felt that she would be prescribing outside of her comfort zone. So she didn't want to do that off her own back. But what she did say was that if you can find a private gender clinic, 
um, then um, she would be happy to enter into a shared care agreement with them and, and, and work with them that way. And so that's what we've done. So I, I went with gender care um, yeah. and they, they've been absolutely brilliant. They've been fantastic and they, they've been fantastic and, they, and she's worked really well with them. And, and so, so I get all my blood tests and everything done through my local surgery. Um, I get the, um, get the results and I send them off to my endocrinologist. He looks at them. Then he writes to my GP and says, right, okay, change the prescription to this. And I get them and, and it works brilliantly um, but i know that i'm lucky i'm one of the lucky ones that i was able to afford to, to go private yeah it's not i know many people aren't um and so i i do feel very fortunate um so because of that you know i've been uh, i've been on hormones and blockers now for three years now and, and you know yeah. it, it, you know it feels great so you were doing kind of both in parallel you, you did the private route and whilst you're still waiting for the gic route yeah absolutely yeah and, I, and i'm still still going private now or what because i've only had my first appointment with the gic so all it was was an appointment with the nurse I, i've now got to wait to for, for the second and, and probably be the third appointment before they take over the hormone yeah so eventually they'll take over from yeah they will so so i'll still keep with gender care until the nhs you know takes over yeah yeah I mean, what you say, I mean, yeah, private healthcare for trans people going to these clinics. Yeah, it can be expensive. There aren't mm. many of them either. There's, no. And there's they're, they're in London, there's Gender GP, which is not even in the UK anymore. Yeah. yeah. Um, there's, but they're, they're, they're inundated as well. I mean, yeah. you can have a, you can wait for a year just to, to be seen privately in some yeah. cases. I mean, I, I, I was very lucky. I had cancellation appointments for both the psychotherapist and for the endocrinologist. So I got in really quickly. So I actually started on HRT within two months of seeing my GP. Yeah. Um, I mean, I was the same. I was like two or three months mm. with a private clinic. Mm. You know, that's how long it took to get, you know, prescribed yeah but you know during that period absolutely nothing happens with your gp and the gic system is you just in the queue oh yeah so i mean if you if you if you didn't have access to that private healthcare, you know by the time you get to your gic which could be two three four years later you know you've you've had a whole period of time where under the nhs system they kind of expect you to be living in role Mm. without having any hormones yeah I mean, that's to me that sounds horrendous to try even try to attempt that. So hard, isn't you it? You know, can you imagine living your life today with no, with no treatment? Yeah. Oh, just it would be horrendous, wouldn't it? Oh, totally, totally, and yeah. and it's just I think the, the the emotional differences you get with the hormones as well make such a difference. Yeah, it makes a huge difference. Yeah, I'm just so much more sensitive than I was before, and. You know, I cry so easily. I mean, I even cry at my daughter's Tinkerbell films, for goodness sake. <laughs> She's funny. Whenever we watch a film, she sits there looking at me. Yeah. Are you going to cry, Dad? Are you going to cry? Yeah. And how was, your, how was the rest of your family in terms of support, you know, family and friends, when you went through transition? Or when um, you first came out? I mean, how did they take the news? Okay, friends in the main have been excellent. They've been fantastic. They've been so supportive and lovely. I have lost a few friends, but they obviously weren't true friends. So then I no loss. So that's yeah. So I did lose some, but not not that many to be honest. So friends have been good. Family have been hardest. Um, obviously, I lost my wife um, through through it. Um, my daughter has had her struggles with it, but she's absolutely fine with it now. She she's 
she's great. She's to be honest, she's been the best of all of them. She's been absolutely fantastic. Um, really supportive. She's she's been great. Um, my mum struggled with it. I, I had big problems with her. The first time she saw me as Katie, she rejected me. It was awful. Um, I, I remember she lives down in Kent and, and, and I dr drove down to see her. And I remember it was, it was, I had a really bad drive down there. The, the M1 and the M25 were really bad. So it took me six hours to drive down there. And I had my daughter with me because I thought, well, because my daughter had accepted me so well, I thought, well, it'd be good for her, for my mum to actually see how well my daughter's taken to it because she could learn from her yeah, yeah. so she, that's why she was with me I mean, we arrived and my daughter went running in gave gave my mum a big hug and that was great said hello to her and then I went in I was expecting a big hug and everything but she looked at me and she said what's that it doesn't belong to me yeah. and then she turned her back and walked away and it was just it was awful it was yeah. really awful and that was in front of my daughter and it was just dreadful um and, and her partner, uh, at the time, he doesn't live with her anymore because he's got dementia, he's in a home now, but at the time he was living with her, he, he's very religious and he was being, he'd call me abnormal and, and an aberration. And no he, he was, cause, so he was in her ear the whole time. Yeah. And so, she, you know, he, he was making it, my mum worse. And so we had, that was a real low point in the relationship with my mum. It's a lot better now, though, to be honest, because um, and that's something that COVID has actually helped with in a weird way, because because my mom hasn't got um, Internet access or anything. She's and she hasn't got a smartphone or anything like that. Um, we can't do FaceTime or video calls or anything. So and I'm, because of lockdown, I haven't been able to get down to see her for a long time. So we've just been doing phone calls. And so I right from the start of the first lockdown, I've just been phoning her every day. Um, and just by doing that has improved our relationship no end. It's it's, it's really good, and, and we're really close now. Although she often misgenders me and you know calls me Martin and everything that, but I think that's now because she's got dementia, and I think it's the dementia talking more than her. And so I just realised that's what it is, and and I accept it. And the important has she has she accepted you as you are now? I think so. Um, you know, she certainly loves me. Um, and I, do, I, I don't know. I mean, you know, she often she'll say, oh, you you were christened as Martin. That's who you are. You know, you'll always be my son. And she'll emphasize the word son and all of that. Um, so I, I, I don't know. I don't know whether she still thinks it's a passing phase or not a fad or whatever. I don't know. But she, she does love me and our relationship's good. And, you know, she's 83, you know. Yeah. I've got to look at this pragmatically here, you know. I mean, you know, some people get your experience like that and then others get, you know, total exception. You know, yeah. You know, it's yeah, yeah. It's, it's really difficult to understand how yeah. your family will react. Yeah. I had a, all my family were amazing. Brilliant. Every single one of them oh, had an amazing response. But yeah. yeah, I'm yeah, but lots of people yeah do have one or two family members who my, particular my... not not as not as accepting as you'd hope yeah well i lost my sister through it so my sister's very really? religious she's a, a, a very evangelical born again Is christian that, you think that's the the reason the religion maybe yeah oh definitely absolutely yeah definitely um yeah and so she she just doesn't want to know me so yeah i mean she to me, she, she she sort of distanced herself quite a bit from from the rest of her family from our family anyway as soon as the religion came in 
but she was still keeping in touch with me with Christmas cards and birthday cards and all that and presents and stuff like that. So we were doing that, but we weren't in like regular contact. But now, absolutely nothing. No, she just doesn't want to know at all now. No. Incredible. But, yeah, again, it's her loss. So. Well, yeah, I mean, hopefully, maybe one day she'll, you know, reconsider. And yeah, hopefully. You can reconnect at some point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we, we spoke a little bit about your the stuff you do in the media newspaper you've been on tv a few times newspapers and you know you refer to yourself as a trans ambassador yeah do you do you also consider yourself to be a, a trans rights activist yeah i do i i didn't really set out to, to do that to be honest my whole my whole thing was about education and about educating people but doing it in an entertaining way so i try and put in as much humor as i can because I just think it's important to entertain people. Because if you entertain people, if you can make them laugh, then they'll listen to what you've got to say and they'll remember it and you'll get your message across. And, and I think, yeah. so doing it in a nice way and, and just, show, just show them that, you know, we're, we're just ordinary people and, you know, we can have a sense of humour. We don't have to take ourselves too seriously. So that was my whole thing. But then as it went on, and, and then I was do, more active, you know, on social media and everything, there were more and more things that I just had to stand up for. And, and especially obviously over the last year, there was the, the non-reform of the, the, of the gender recognition yeah, act. There's been all kinds of things. And there's been so many different things. And, and, and I just felt I've got to stand up for this. And so, yeah, I have become a, tr a trans activist really, but um, as I didn't set out to do it, but I just don't like seeing unfairness and there's lots and lots of unfairness at the moment. And, and I felt that I needed to, help to do something about it in whatever small way I could so I mean you know as a as an ambassador like you are mm. I mean how what would you recommend or what would you tell people about being a trans activist I mean how would you tell them to go about it what would you um, is there any kind of advice you could give yeah. because a lot of times you do see on Twitter you know people kind of ranting about things and getting angry yeah, acting with certain people, and, and I think I don't, mean, don't, probably that probably has a negative effect as well. Well, it does, and and I think yeah. that's the thing. I think yes, it makes me angry as well. Some of the things that go on, and you see some of the some of the things by the turfs and everything that go, yeah. that, that go on there, and it makes me angry. But the thing is that if you if you actually go about your campaign in an aggressive manner then you're just shooting yourself in the foot and you're actually not doing the campaign and your cause any credit. You're actually discrediting it. And you're, you know, I think you've got to, you've got to, you've got to go about it in a nicer way. <laughs> and, and however yeah. much you don't want to, um, you know, so, so. So you can still be angry, but you kind of challenge um, your anger into yeah. educational things. I mean, take, take JK Rowling, for, for instance. Yeah. Take her as far away as you like. Yeah, but no, take it. I mean, you know, I mean, I wrote an open letter to her, um, you know, about all the transphobia that she's been doing and everything. Yeah. And I got over a thousand messages of hate and everything off the rest, off the back of it and everything. But I did it in a nice way. It wasn't an aggressive way at all, the, the way I did it. Um, and, but then a lot of the, she's received a lot of death threats from trans activists or whatever. And I just think, it's such the wrong way to go about it because then, then she's, it gives her ammunition and all the other turfs ammunition. Say, oh look what these nasty yeah, trans yeah. people are like. You know they are all aggressive. They're they're giving death threats to our our lovely J.K. Rowling. Yeah, it, so 
it's just it's the wrong way to go about it and so i really do appeal to them to try and go about it in a in a much more friendly way much cleverer way um so uh, a more intelligent more kind of along the education so. absolutely routes rather than yeah. direct conflict. bring people on side because yeah because the thing is that while other some other trans people may applaud them and say yeah well said you know good for you for saying that i mean sometimes they do there does need to be a reaction to some of the horrible things oh yeah say. oh totally I mean, they get can't, it. you can't they can't go no silent you oh, know we can't absolutely. be silent 100 percent. No, oh no i'm not saying yeah. don't react 100 <laughs> percent react but it's how you react yeah but the thing is what you've got to think about is say that some trans people will applaud them and say well done for doing that the turfs will always attack them anyway, whatever. And if you if you're aggressive, it just gives them more ammunition. But for everyone else in between, so all the cis people who are who haven't got much of an idea about trans issues, they're gonna they're gonna look at this and they're gonna see, well, we've got two sides to this here. Well, who are we gonna side with? Well, they're less likely to side with trans people if all they see of trans people are these angry people issuing death threats. Yeah. You're much better to educate them and just show them that we are just ordinary people and 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 that and we and we can make them laugh we can we you know we can we yeah can, we can bring them on side and so i think it's much better to do it that way and, and so if you look of, at it in terms of what the results will be of what you're doing i guess you know going going down the education route you know trying to be an ambassador will produce much better results yeah and, and you've got to convince more people and you've got to appreciate that when you're representing any for any part of society you know that carries a lot of responsibility yes. with it and i and i feel that intensely and in that i the last thing i want to do is to upset any trans people or misrepresent them in any way mm. and um you know um and some things that i've done i've got wrong and i hold my hands up to that i think we're all human and we i've done the best i possibly can yeah um uh, you know i think I've done a reasonable job with it so far, but I, yeah, some things I have got wrong and, and I've regretted the way I've gone about some things, but, I thought, but I've learned from it. And, but that's, that's, we, we all do that, don't we? Yeah, we do. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So under, under your, um, it's cool, cool to be trans, um, website, mm. you do a lot of training events for corporations. Yeah, well, for any organisations, where I do, do it, it seems to be mainly um, for for you know for corporations at the moment. But it can be can be for anybody. I mean, I did, did it for some a group of homeless um, volunteers recently. Um, I've, I've done done them for all sorts of people, really. So these are these trans awareness kind of training events that you do. Yeah, so they can be well either that or inspirational speaking events. So some, right. so I can do like three hour trans awareness training sessions where you know with smaller groups where it's you know so it's much more intense. There's a, you know so I give them it's much more in depth, um, or I can also do like one to one and a half hour um, speaking engagements where you know I go in and I tell my story, but in with my story I, I weave in education about all things trans so there's explanations about things like gender dysphoria and the difference between sex and gender and sexuality and all, all the sort of usual stuff that you would expect but it's weaved into my story um and then um and then i give my top tips for being a trans ally um so it's really good practical takeaway tips that will help them be better allies to trans people yeah. and then then i then i finish up with a q and a where it's no holes barred they can ask me absolutely anything and i will answer anything um, and so I just open myself up to whatever they want to ask me. And how, how is the how is the reception? Generally great. Generally, generally great. Sometimes so I've I've had a few 
I've had a few. It's funny. I find that the um, sometimes you get some awkward people who uh, they've they've gone on there with closed minds anyway, and they'll sort yeah. of sit in the front with their arms folded, yeah. <laughs> and then and then they'll ask you that the, the they're, throwing uh, verbal hand grenades at you. Yeah, and they'll ask you the sort of typical sort of turf question at the end about oh, well, you can't argue with chromosomes and all this sort of stuff, mm. and, and um, so 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 yeah, you have to expect a few um, a few difficult questions sometimes, but I. I you know, I've always been able to to handle them, and, and yeah, yeah, it must be like uh, water off a duck's back. Now you've done so much. I mean, you yeah. you are extremely visible and um, <laughs> yeah. out there doing things. Which I'm, is... I'm all over social media like a rash. Aren't I? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's I mean, it's great. I mean, it's great that you do that. That you you know you have the confidence to do it, and yeah. that you are doing it. You know, it's Thank it's you. doing you're doing great work there. And, and I love doing it, to be honest. I'm finding it so rewarding. And, and, and it's just, I know that it's doing so much good because, yes, yeah. I, by being visible, I'm putting the head above the parapet. So I know that it's going to attract um, the abuse. And, 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 and I know you do the same. You get it as well. And, and, yeah. and um, you, know, you know, we've both got the badge of honour of having a hate thread or several on, on Mum's Net, for instance. <laughs> yeah. Indeed. Um, so, yeah, we know we're going to get it. Um, but it's great that people like us are able to do that. And, um, and I think the, the more people that can do that, the, the better. I think, you know, I think it's, it's yeah. It, yeah, it's a, I think, it, yeah, it's. Um, because as well as I've got, as well as getting all these abusive messages, they're usually from people that they hide behind their fake names and avatars. Always. It's always a fake name yeah, and a fake yeah. everything. So, so you don't so, so you don't know exactly who it is. So. Especially on mum's net. On oh yeah. So, oh, terrible. So they hide behind all that. But the, so so they as soon as they do that, as, as soon as it's anonymous, well, frankly, their opinion doesn't count to me. I don't really care what they say. The ones that really matter I, I get lots of private messages, particularly from parents from of trans kids, and they thank me for what i've been saying especially when i was when i wrote that open letter to jk rowling and and they sort of said well you know we'd like to say what you've said but we can't because we don't want to out our children and 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 um and but they said that what you said has really made a difference and has really helped us and our children and those messages are so special they really are they're they're, they're wonderful yeah so what, what do you think about gender um euphoria rather than dysphoria oh it's amazing you can't beat it <laughs> it's, yes. it's i mean yeah a lot of people talk about gender dysphoria but oh gender euphoria i mean euphoria just, is much better than dysphoria oh god yeah. i mean i think it's even though i've been well you've been through the same you know been through a lot of rubbish you know it's, it's not an easy journey at all despite all the losses that i've had overall I feel absolutely amazing. It feels incredible. So do you, did you find that it, as you know, as you went through transition, that you became more and more of an open person and you started doing things that you would never have done before? Oh, God, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and you just kind of come out of your shell a lot. Is that what happened to you? Yeah, I mean, I was already a fairly confident person anyway, and I think I probably had to be with the job that I was doing, doing being a photographer, and especially doing press photography. Yeah, you can't be a, a wallflower yeah. with, yeah. with that. you got to get on with it and, and get stuck in so i i was already i was already always an extrovert and and so i was you know always sort of fairly public about things and you know been on stage doing stuff and played in bands and done, done all sorts of stuff like that so i i was already an extrovert anyway but i think 
this has given me an, an extra level of confidence because I think once you've faced something like that, once, I mean, it, it is the ultimate thing, isn't it? You know, just admitting to yourself that you're trans and then deciding that you're going to do something about it is massive. It's you, you can't really and think in, about, a, in a public way. You can't think about yeah, yeah, yeah. Making it public does actually put a bit more pressure on. But <laughs> but I just felt I had no choice because it was a it was a business protection exercise, you know, to try and yeah, save my yeah. photography business. So that's why I did that. But so I had no. But, I mean, you're also you're also into a bit of salsa dancing, aren't you? You um... yeah, yeah, I love salsa, yeah, yeah. But unfortunately, because of lockdown, I haven't been able to do it for for um, yeah for a while. Um, but uh, I can't wait for us all to come out of lockdown and to be able to get get up close and personal again. <laughs> yeah, you're also playing a band, is that right? I used to, yeah. I, I don't at the moment. I haven't done for, for for quite a while. But yeah, I played in lots of different bands. I'm into folk music, so I. And what I, was I, your what was your instrument of choice? A guitar and banjo. Oh, the banjo. <laughs> and, I sang, and I sang as well, yeah. Why, why do people laugh when I say the banjo? <laughs> it's, a, it, no, it's, a, it's a funny instrument, isn't it? It's like, yeah. You always I, think heard, of like somebody playing a ukulele or a banjo. It's like, yeah. I've, I've heard all the of... jokes, though. Like, yeah, what, 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 yeah what, what do you call them? Um, what's the definition of an optimist? <laughs> Go on. A, a banjo player with, a, with an answer phone. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard them all. <laughs> But but yeah, my, my my whole family um used to be a, a folk group, and so we you know, my, my yeah my sister played the accordion and lots of other instruments. I played the guitar and banjo and sang, and my mum sang and played percussion, and my dad played melodeon and, and mouth organs, and um so that that's how it started. And then I played in other things. I played for um, a Morris side called the Loose Women, but they obviously then I was presenting as male, but they had a male you know it was a um, mixed gender band. And um, and then I played for an Appalachian clog dance team from Brighton called the Broken Ankles, <laughs> and that, they were incredible. We we did live television in Switzerland and we did all sorts of stuff. It was absolutely amazing. Did some amazing gigs with them. They were so talented. The dancers, they were brilliant and brilliant musicians as well. Uh, what about your experiences as a pilot? I was a pilot. Yeah, yeah. I've got a um, pilot's license, private pilot's license. So. Um, I flew for 20 years. I've only just given up actually, but um, flew for 20 years and absolutely loved it. And I used to fly aerobatics. I had a, a share in an open cockpit aerobatic biplane. <laughs> and I used to love just do, doing aerobatics. Um, Not whilst playing the banjo, I hope. No, no, no. I didn't try that. I definitely didn't try that. <laughs> but um, being in, in an open cockpit as well, there's just nothing yeah. to beat. It's real raw seat of the pants flying. And, and you're, were you, you're were you doing acrobatics? Yeah, I was doing aerobatics for, for for live events or just... no, no, no. I wasn't. I wasn't. You were doing air shows or anything. No, no, just no. I wasn't. I, I wasn't as good as that because um, with display pilots, they they have to they have to do it at much lower level um, and lower height, obviously for the crowds to see them. Um, yeah, and I'm so sure I, a lot more regulations involved, safety. Yeah, ones. and so I and so I I no I, I never got up to that standard with it. So I just did it just for my own fun. So I just do it high up. So I, you know I'd go up to you know, four and a half, five thousand feet, six thousand feet, in, and and just just and, and do yeah. it other because the higher you are, the safer you are. Because well, the more time you have to recover the yeah, it's your time. But generally, what happens if a, if an aerobatic maneuver goes wrong? Generally, what would happen is you'd end up in a spin, and if and then and so and but when you're in a spin, the aeroplane loses aerodynamic its aerodynamics uh, aerodynamics, yeah. and so it would. It dropped like a brick, yeah. <laughs> and so, so high altitude, you've got more chance to recover the aircraft. On exactly, the, and so there's the maneuvers you, you can do to get out of the spin yeah. to recover yeah. from the spin. But that all takes height, 
and so and so you and so you're losing that height rapidly so the higher you are the more time you've got the safer you are so yeah. so i used to just go up high and do it yeah but i loved so it no it no plans to get back in the uh, pilot seat not at the moment i think yeah maybe at one day I, I might but um my my pilot's license is still in my old name so i'd have to go through that you'd have to go through all the paper i'd have to change that and then, and then i'd obviously have to revalidate it and everything yeah. and do a test again and everything which, which i could do if if i if i want to someday i might but i did it for 20 years and i think well i'm grateful that i that i did it it was yes um, interesting stuff that really is yeah. so i mean today is the um it's the 7th of may and yesterday there was a, a um a legal case going through the courts around Anne Sinnott and how she was wanting to change the the the, the wording I believe in the um, EHRC guidance document around the Equality Act mm. so the um, I think the case yesterday was a it was a hearing to get permission to have a judicial review now this case collapsed yesterday because the judge basically kicked it out within about half an hour of the of the case being open, um, which was good news. I just wonder what you thought about you know all oh. these cases like that one going through. There's, there's also the other one that was last week. Yeah, um, Mayor for States, I believe her name is. So you know, there's two really big cases which would have had, yeah, and still might in one case have huge effect on trans rights. Well, Etc. I mean, what do you think about those? Well, firstly, I think yesterday's uh, judgment was fantastic. I was yeah, so pleased too. when I saw it. I thought, wow, great. It just it just validated um, the Equalities Act 2010 yeah. and showed that it is fit for purpose. It's a good act. Um, thank goodness we had a good judge who yeah, saw absolutely. through the nonsense. You know. Absolutely. Um, yeah. It, 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 and I just thought, fantastic. And um, <laughs> I thought, yeah, so, so that, that, that was such good news. Um, it is worrying, you know, how many of these legal cases because the, the turfs are very well organized and they're very well funded. Well, the amount I mean, of money they raised so quickly for that was well, ninety six thousand, wasn't it? For, for it that. was more than that, I believe. Was it? Was it more? Yeah, I mean, it's you know, but they're doing it over a two three week period. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, I can't imagine having to try and raise that amount of money yeah. myself. Yeah. It, it would be impossible. Yeah, um, but. It's awful, yeah, isn't it? That's it is. yeah. But, but, but people do that. Um, I mean, we do have a good law project who represent trans, you know, people yeah, they, and topics. They've been fantastic. And they do a great job. They've been. Fantastic. I just, I just wish they had more resources available to them. I guess the only way we can do that is, you know, kind of contribute if we can. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, but uh, yeah, the, the, yeah, there are. You know more of these cases coming up because they're yeah. you know turfs are trying to attack us from all ways they they've infiltrated all of the major uk political parties so they're, they're trying to change policy from within so yeah. every party has got a problem with it they've all got problems with transphobia within yeah. there so yeah. um so it's not a party political thing at all they've all got problems with it um so they're attacking it from that way um yeah. they're trying to do all the legal route to, you know trying all these different ways because you know, if if that had gone against us yesterday, I mean, that could have really serious. There would have been serious been repercussions. Yeah, would have would have been been awful. So yeah, we've really we've got to keep the pressure up. We've got to you know got to help wherever we can. 
Um, but it's, it's not always that easy, is it? It's not easy. No, it's. I mean, it's it's very difficult to understand a lot of the finer elements of the law. Mm. You know, I find it quite confusing at times. Mm. Just to understand it. I mean, yeah. Moira. I can't remember her last name. Uh, um, Moira yeah. White, is it? Moira White, yeah. Yeah, she's bringing out a book. So Robin, Robin Ro Moira. Yeah, Robin Moira White. Yeah, yeah. She's bringing out a book that she's written recently on on the application of um, the Gender Recognition Act and the Equality Act in terms mm. of transgender issues. Yeah. So I've, I've I've ordered one. Yes, I'm going to. I haven't ordered mine yet, but I will do, yeah. But Robin's brilliant. She, she's, yeah. she's superb. So I'm looking forward to receiving that, having a good read. Yeah. I'm sure it's going to be very educational. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. So that, that's, um, I, I mean, with these legal things, we've just got to, I think we've just got to educate ourselves on how the law is supposed to be applied. Yeah. And, and continue with the kind of work that you're doing with your, mm. you know, um, awareness training courses and that kind of stuff. And yeah, thank you. Just, yeah. We'll just carry on, don't we? And I just, I just want to get it out into more mainstream, um, you know, and, that, and that's yeah. why I think with, you know, the, the, obviously the, the trans awareness training, the, the, the longer ones, the three hour ones, they're from much smaller audience. So I can, I can only train a few people at a time there that when I do my inspirational speaking, you know, whether it's at conferences or whatever, I can speak to much larger audiences. Yeah. And, and so that that's good. And then, and then obviously through mainstream media, that's even better because they've got such a wide reach. Um, and so I want to do more of that. Definitely. Yeah, and I think we all need to collaborate more too, don't we? You know, there's, there's so many people, you know, like yourself doing amazing things, and then, you know, other other, other people and groups doing amazing things. But are they are they are they working together? Yeah, I'm not, I've been working um, alongside Bobby Picard, who I know you've interviewed. Yeah, I know Bobby. Yeah, with um, Trans in the City, and she does amazing yeah. work. Another amazing organisation. Ah, oh, fantastic! Yeah, and so yeah. I, so I've been doing stuff. stuff with so her. it's Trans in the City working with cool to be trans on any amazing projects coming up um there's not anything definite at the moment but we have we we have been talking and we are talking but it, um yeah too soon to say anything you know concrete at the moment but yeah we are yeah yeah we're always in contact and we have been talking about stuff so yeah yeah i mean i would love to get involved with things like that so yeah please keep me informed yes definitely definitely i can do to help let me know Thank you. I appreciate that. So I have one final question for you, which I oh, ask right. all my guests. Oh, God, is this going to be a killer question? This... No, it's a, it's a, it's a, <laughs> this is the best question out of all the questions. <laughs> so for your end of podcast jingle, you have a choice. <laughs> Here you we go. Have, you can have a goat. <laughs> goat? A goat, yeah. A cow, or you can have a yay. Oh, it's got to be a cow. I've always been a, a silly cow. cow. Okay. okay. <laughs> the cow is yours. You can only like a three-second jingle at the end. So, okay. But I ask all my guests, and the most popular by far is the goat. Is it? Yeah. The cows had several, but not not oh, not anywhere near the level of the, the, the goat. <laughs> well, goats are quite sweet, I suppose, aren't they? <laughs> they are. Yeah. It's, uh, anyway, that's good. Thank you for that. And I... Uh, Huge thank you for coming on the podcast today and no, talking will. about all those amazing things we spoke about. Oh, Fascinating to learn about some of the stuff you're doing and your oh. transition story. Oh, thank thank you, you so much for coming on. And th thanks for all the work that you do as well. It's, it's brilliant. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. So hopefully see you at some other event. Yes. Yep. 
Yeah, it'd be great. It'd be great to meet up in person at some point. Yeah, post COVID stuff. When we're all let out. When we're in the letters out into the wild, yeah. Is, we're nearly there. We're getting there, aren't we? We're not too far away. I had my second job yesterday. So. Oh, well done. Excellent. I haven't. I've had my first, I had my first one about five weeks ago. But... Yeah, I've had a sore arm all all Have day, and all yesterday mm-hmm. afternoon. But it's it seems to be getting better. Yeah. So, oh, good. So at least you're you're double jabbed. So I'm well on the way. I'm on the way to freedom. Yeah. Brilliant. Okay, so I, I shall sign us off at that point. Yeah. And uh, talk to you soon. Brilliant. Thanks ever so much, Vicky. Thanks. <laughs>